Amen. So like we said, we're in this sermon series called Be the Body, and we're simply trying to acknowledge that we, the church, according to God, according to his word, we are the body of Christ. That means that we are the presence of God in human form here on earth. We work on behalf of God. And we've simply been trying to say, wow, that is a weighty call. How do we do that well? And so far we've said the way we do that is by persevering in difficulty. Just like Jesus persevered through the cross, so also we, the church, persevere in difficulty. We do that by being generous with all that God's given us. Just like God is a giver, he gave his own son, so also as the body of Christ, we are givers. We do that by proclaiming Christ and his resurrection life in all that we do. And like we started the series off with, we are the body of Christ by contextualizing God's love to our world however we can. My hope is that every single one of us would be more and more confident that we know how, not by our strength, but by God's strength, we know how to be the body here on earth. So I uh, woke up the other morning, got out of bed, came downstairs, poured a cup of coffee, and sat down. And all I'd done was pour a cup of coffee and sit down, right? And I stood up, and something in my back just tweaked. I, I think it's because when I was at the pool with the kids the other day, they had climbed on me so long that it was just ready to go. But do you know what it's like? You hurt your lower back or you hurt some part of your body. And for every minute in the rest of that day, I was hyper aware of my lower back because there was a lot of pain in my body that was causing me to be extra aware of that part of my body. But not only was I hyper aware of that pain in my body, I spent more time attending to it. I stretched more. I was cautious when I stood up and sat down. I spent extra effort attending to the part of my body that was hurting. Well, Maurice, a brother in Christ, a follower of Jesus, part of the body of Christ, he just told us that if we call ourselves Jesus followers, if we are part of the body of Christ, our body is hurting. And so we're going to spend some time together attending to some of the hurts in our body. And like I said up front, there are so many voices speaking to us about how we can attend to the brokenness of relationships in our world, specifically how we can attend to the brokenness of relationships across racial lines. And it's so important to listen to voices, but today We're going to key in to the one most important voice, the voice of God, speaking to us because it is God who gives us a vision of how we are to be in relationship with others. And this is is so big, it encompasses every single relationship. It applies to every single area of your life, family, friends, work, uh, across racial lines, you know, people who look just like you. It, It applies to all of it, and yet... 
If part of our body is hurting, we should attend to that part of our body. So let me just set the stage a little bit on, on, the, on the macro level. I want to ask you a couple questions. Um, in your life, think back over your life, think over all the relationships that you've had. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can imagine all sorts of different relationships come to mind. Good relationships, bad relationships, easy relationships, hard relationships. Have you ever had a relationship that if you were to describe it, you would say, that's a broken relationship? Just the other day, my daughter Esther had this little teapot that she'd been given, and she accidentally dropped it on the tile floor, and it shattered. Have you ever been in a relationship that's kind of like that teapot? It's just a mess broken on the floor. I bet a lot of you have some painful memories coming to mind, and I'm sorry for bringing it up, but we have to acknowledge, I mean, we do acknowledge, we live in a world with broken relationships. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever been in a relationship, you wouldn't say it's broken and shattered, it's not like the teapot, but you would have to say, man, in this relationship, I've faced a lot of brokenness. Like, maybe it's a good relationship, but man, we've struggled through brokenness in that relationship. Have you ever had a relationship like that? I know it's not hard for me to call to mind the relationships I've got in life that have had to struggle through brokenness. Or maybe, let me ask you another question. Do you have any relationships, and they are good, thriving, healthy, life-giving relationships? Oh, they're so good. It's just a joy to be with these people. It's strengthening and life-giving. And yet, you still acknowledge that even in that healthy relationship, you have to face brokenness with that person. I mean, here's what I'm trying to say. I'm guessing that every single one of us by this point has had some relationship come to our minds, whether a completely broken one or a a healthy, thriving one that still has to face and deal with brokenness. Here's the reality. We are living in a broken world. Scripture gives us a word for that brokenness. It calls it sin. But we're not just living in a broken world. We are broken people in a broken world. And so it really shouldn't surprise us at all That when we look at our relationships, we see brokenness in our relationship. We see the effects of sin bringing pain, hardship, hatred, violence, all sorts of bad comes into this thing, relationships that's supposed to be so beautiful and good. So we're going to dive into what does it mean to be the body in our relationships with one another. And we're going to do that by continuing to read from the words of the Apostle Paul. He's writing to this church in Corinth, the ancient city of Corinth, a city that's just struggling to get itself on its feet, a city that's struggling with a culture of hierarchy where people are willing to leave anybody and everybody behind, where people are willing to shove down the little guy and do whatever it takes to get on top. A city where even in the church, The culture of Corinth is showing up in the church instead of the church showing up in the city of Corinth. And Paul's writing to them about how the good news of God's love for all people and his reconciliation between all humanity and himself, Paul's writing about how that plays out in our relationships with one another. It should impact the way we look at one another, we talk to one another. It should impact everything about our relationships with one another. If you want, you can turn there. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. 
but we're going to put the words on the screen for you now. Here's what Paul says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's two words in this passage that are just central to understanding the message that Paul is trying to convey. Those two words are reconciliation and righteousness. And I want to start by just getting some definitions clear so that the weight of these words that Paul is speaking, and and to remind you, Paul's not speaking these words as his own ideas, but he's speaking them as someone teaching, bringing the teaching of Jesus to the church in Corinth. And I want to look at them kind of in reverse order. So first of all, righteousness. If you were to open up a lot of different dictionaries, I pulled up Webster, um, you might find this definition of righteousness. The quality of being morally right or justifiable. This is a pretty common way to understand righteousness. And when I read that term, the picture it gives to my mind is that it's a very internal reality. Righteousness is something inside of me that I either have or don't have in my being. It's a quality, an internal quality, of my internal moral being. But I want to suggest to you that this definition from Webster that's common in our world today is in fact not at all what Paul had in mind when he said, we become the righteousness of God. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to take this definition of righteousness. Probably, it probably sounds pretty familiar to you. And I want you to just strike it from the record. I want you to just cross the whole thing out. And I want to spend a few minutes looking back over scripture and rebuilding a better definition based on what God says about his own righteousness and what scripture tells us about how God's righteousness shows up in our lives. Because righteousness, it turns out, is a central theme from cover to cover throughout scripture. In order to do this, I need to do a bit of a review, a macro review of the story of Scripture. We're not going to look so much at detailed moments, but we're going to kind of remind ourselves of the ark. For many of you, this will be a very familiar reminder. For some of you, this might be the first time you've heard anything like this. And so, Scripture tells us the story of God's relationship with humanity in four parts. 
Part one starts with creation. And maybe you've read the book of Genesis, maybe, you, maybe not, but I bet there's a phrase that's familiar to you. You may recall the book starts out, it says, in the beginning God created. And then from Genesis 1 to 3, we get this refrain over and over and over again at each stage of creation. It says, God looked at what he made and said, it was good. The story of everything we know in all of the universe begins in Scripture with a God who made things good. And that goodness was God in relationship with humans was humans in a perfect, healthy relationship with one another, and humanity in a healthy relationship with all of creation. Well, we just did a simple little exercise three minutes ago where I asked you if you've got any broken relationships. It doesn't take much to recognize that a God who created things good, that's not the way things are today. The word Scripture gives for that is the second one here. That is the fall. See, the good creation included the choice God made to give humans a choice in the way they live. And humans have made choices to turn away from God's good intention and to bring evil, suffering, and pain into our world. So we live in a world that was meant to be good and whole, and it is now fallen, fractured, like we say all the time, broken, including our relationships with one another, including our relationship with the earth itself, including our relationship with our creator. Now, this next little part that I'm going to talk about for a second, it doesn't show up in the Bible anywhere, but here's what I sort of envision. I mean, I think God had a moment where he had a choice to make. He's looking down and he's seeing this precious creation he just made. If you're an artist or a creator of any sort, you know what it's like to put time and effort and care and to make something beautiful and to step back and look at it and say, oh, that's beautiful, right? So God just finished creating this beautiful thing and looks down. And his creation has broken itself. It's now like that teapot on the floor. And I envision God having a choice to make. He looks down at the teapot, kind of like I had a choice to make with Esther's teapot. Am I going to shrug my shoulders and say, that's just too much work to fix? Am I going to sweep it up, throw it out, leave it behind? Or am I going to bend down and I'm going to pick up every one of those little pieces. And am I, am I going to start the painstaking work of putting back together this thing that's now broken? I don't know if God looked at creation like I looked at the teapot, but here's what I do know. The next part of the story, and really this is from like Genesis 4 in some ways all the way through the rest of the scripture. The next part of the story is that God makes a promise And God's promise is that, no, he will not simply shrug his shoulders, walk away, sweep it up, and throw it in the trash. But rather, God promises that he is going to fix what is broken. We see this promise made time and time and time again. But actually, the promise isn't just that God's going to fix what's broken, but rather the final act of the story is that in the end, God will fully restore. He will bring complete 
restoration so that all that was broken is not simply fixed, but it's brought completely back to the good it was originally designed for. And Scripture uses all sorts of words to describe these promises of God. These promises of God are to take injustice and create justice, to take violence and death and create peace and prosperity and life, to take broken relationships and to bring people back into whole relationships, to bring the brokenness of relationship between humanity and God and to reconcile that relationship. It comes in all different forms. And that promise is a promise not just that God's going to sit back and wait for it to happen, but God promises he is going to do something about it. If you've been getting any of the church emails or been around for a while, you know that this story from the book of Exodus has been just deep on my heart for a long time. See, the story goes in Exodus chapter 3, God's talking to Moses at the burning bush. I think many of you remember this. And God has seen his people suffering in slavery. And slavery is not God's design. Slavery is a brokenness of sin. And God says, I will come down and rescue you, my people, from slavery. And what does God do? He then sends Moses. God's promise is a promise to act. Well, here's the point of all that. If you were to try to weave together all of these themes, God's desire for justice and reconciliation, forgiveness, all of these ways that God has promised to restore the brokenness of the world, there's one word that gets used over and over and over again to refer to all of that together. In the New Testament, that word is righteousness. God's righteousness is his commitment to work in order to put things back to right. So I want to give you a new definition of righteousness. If you've got a scrap paper, write it down. If you've got a Bible open to 2 Corinthians right now, I'd encourage you to put this in the margins. If you're a journaler, I'd encourage you to write this down in a journal. Righteousness is not God's internal moral character. God certainly has that, but that's not the primary thing in view. Rather, righteousness is God's commitment to restore things, to make things right. We look around and we see that things are not right in the world. Things are broken and hurt and wrong, and God is committed to work in order to make things right. And that commitment to action, backed up by action, that is God's righteousness. Let me give you just a couple quick examples. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. At this point in the story, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to Israel, and Israel is in the middle of a terrible circumstance. There's violence, there's danger, there's suffering all around, and God promises to uphold them with his righteous hand. His righteousness is his commitment to act on behalf of his people. Or there's another example, the apostle 
Paul, the same man who wrote the letters to the Corinthians that we've been studying, he wrote a letter to the Romans, and he starts off this letter by talking about the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that God has come down to earth in order to cover over the effects of sin, in order to heal the brokenness of sin, in order to bring restoration between God and humankind. Here's how Paul talks about the gospel in the beginning of his letter to the Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so again, we see here, the righteousness of God, or rather I should say, the gospel is the righteousness of God. What is the gospel? It's God's act to come down to earth. It's God's act to take the burden of sin on himself. It's God's act to wipe away the effects of sin in order to give life to all people. The righteousness of God is his commitment to restore things and his actions to accomplish that restoration. So when we hear in 2 Corinthians 5 that through the work of reconciliation, we might become the righteousness of God, we see that the work of reconciliation, the work of taking broken relationships and fighting, praying, talking, working, confessing, taking broken relationships and restoring them, that work is the demonstration of God's righteousness in our lives. And so that brings us to the second definition. It's a little more simple definition of the word reconciliation. Reconciliation is being placed into friendship with God. If indeed sin causes relationships to be broken, and so sin has caused our relationship with God to be a broken relationship, then reconciliation is that work where a broken relationship is healed and characterized now by friendship, by closeness. Even more than friendship, actually, Scripture says, like a father with his child. A relationship of intimate love. Considering all that, to me at least, I hope this looking back on Scripture is opening some doors in your own mind. To me, it makes abundantly clear now why Paul chose to put reconciliation and righteousness together in this passage. See, if, if God desires in his righteousness to heal this broken world, and if all, as the body of Christ, like Paul says, we are ambassadors of Christ, then that means our work is to bring about reconciliation with one another, just like God has brought about reconciliation with us. So we see that reconciliation is an essential expression of the righteousness of God. 
Heck, I mean, maybe expression's not even right. I mean, reconciliation is the activity that is God's righteousness. Righteousness is how God works, how God acts in the world. And so reconciliation is the activity of righteousness. Now, this last step, it's it's so critical, right? See, because the reconciliation that God desires, this expression of his righteousness, it's first between God and all of humanity. But the whole design of it is that it cannot stop there. The vertical has to be perfectly integrated with the horizontal. Our relationships with one another are integrated into our relationships with God. If we want to be reconciled with God, if we want to have the righteousness of God in our lives, the way we do that is by living out reconciliation with other people. I would summarize it this way. Wherever there are broken relationships, righteousness demands we work to restore them. Let me say that again. Wherever there are broken relationships, and you just acknowledged, and I just acknowledged, that in our lives, there are broken relationships, whether completely broken, whether struggling with brokenness, or whether a a healthy relationship that encounters brokenness, we all have broken relationships. The Apostle Paul said, God has reconciled us to God. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation so that we can tell other people they can be reconciled with God, and we do that. We show that. We live that by ourselves reconciling broken relationships. So wherever there are broken relationships, righteousness demands we work to restore them. Jesus actually gave an unbelievable teaching on this. At the time, it would have been more than jaw-dropping. It was paradigm-shifting. It was radical to the people when they first heard it. See, when Jesus lived on the earth and was teaching and preaching and ministering, um, most of God's people uh, fell under the Jewish religious life. And the Jewish religious life centered on the temple. Now, you and I, when we've heard about God, we've heard about God as bringing us into relationship with him through Christ. But in Old Testament times, the way that that relationship was established was not through Christ. Rather, it was through the temple. And so there were all these traditions, all these festivals, all these rituals where people were to bring sacrifices to the temple. And by making a sacrifice to God, it ensured the continued relationship between God and humanity. The temple was so important. The sacrificial system was so critical. People would often travel for days to go to the temple. They would often uh, give big chunks of their income or their crops or their livestock as part of a sacrifice at the temple. Sometimes, if it was a big festival, you might wait in line four days at the temple. I mean, think about that. You travel for days to get to the temple, and once you get there, You wait in line for day after day after day until it's your turn to make an offering at the altar of the temple. And Jesus is teaching 
to a crowd of people that are familiar with that whole system, familiar with all the effort and the importance of the sacrificial system. And Jesus says, okay, imagine this. You just traveled for a few days. You got to the temple. You waited in line for a few days. And finally, you've got your offering. And finally, it's your turn to to make your sacrifice, to give your offering at the altar. Finally, you're about to do that. And and the crowd's all listening when Jesus is teaching this because they're like, yeah, 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 I've I've been there. I've I've done that. I know that. Oh, wow, this is an important moment. What's Jesus going to say? And then Jesus goes, okay, now, now just imagine this. You're about to lay your, your offering down. So important. And you realize that your brother or your sister has something against you. Jesus says, you're about to offer the sacrifice, and you realize you have a broken relationship with your brother or sister. And the crowd's all like, yeah, but my brother and sister is a three-day journey back home. And i got to offer my sacrifice at the temple because I need my relationship with God to be right. Is that what you're going to say, Jesus? So I should offer the sacrifice and then I should go restore my relationship with my brother and sister, Jesus? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you're about to lay your sacrifice down and you realize you have a broken relationship with your brother and sister, here's what you do. Leave your gift there in front of the altar, first, first, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. What Jesus says is actually, if you want to maintain your reconciled relationship with God, God's desire is that you make your relationship with others a first priority in your life. Pastor Maurice referenced 1 Corinthians 12. It said, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. When my physical body was hurting, when my back was injured, every moment of my day was spent attending to the injured part of my body. Because when my body's hurt, if I don't attend to it, if I don't help it heal, if I don't stretch it and medicate it and make it better, then, like Marie said, I'm going to end up walking with a limp. I'm going to end up walking hunched over. So church body of Christ. And I'll just acknowledge something here. If you're not a Jesus follower, if you're a friend, if you've been invited, if you're a family member who's watching and and you haven't committed your life to following Jesus, you're off the hook. Um, You don't have to do this. Uh, You might base your life on any sort of other system. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then this is a demand Jesus puts on your life. You are the body of Christ. And just like with our physical bodies, when your body hurts, you attend to it. In church, your body is hurting. Our country is filled with yet another recognition and with a movement that is continuing and growing and spreading 
that our body is hurt because of the brokenness of relationships across racial lines. A member of our body just told us that our black brothers and sisters in Christ have been and continue to be crying out about the pain in our body. And so we must ask ourselves, how are you? How am I? How are we attending to it? Because this is the work of reconciliation. And by doing the work of reconciliation, we become the righteousness of God. I'm deeply grateful for the fact that our church, Centennial Covenant Church, is part of a whole group of churches called the Evangelical Covenant Church, or the ECC for short. And the ECC has for a long time had a deep commitment to this very work of reconciliation across racial lines. And in fact, the department in our national denomination, uh, the department that heads this up, is called the Department of Racial Righteousness. Because just like this story I briefly sketched today, our denomination understands that if we are to be the righteousness of God, we must do the work of reconciliation, including and especially reconciliation where we are racially divided in our country. That's a vision that comes not from some social movement, not from some political point of view, not from some sociological point of view, but that comes from the very heart of our scriptures and from the character of who God is and how God has promised to bring restoration to this hurting world and God has called you and called me to join him in that work. That is what it means to be the body of Christ. That we commit ourselves to doing the work of righteousness. But I want to end by getting really practical. Again, Paul said to the church in Corinth, we are ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is somebody who goes ahead of and represents someone. We are representing Christ. How are we doing that? We're doing that by carrying out the ministry of reconciliation. Why do we carry out the ministry of reconciliation? So that we might become the righteousness of God. And so here's the question. How do we live as ambassadors of racial righteousness? How do we live as ambassadors of righteousness in every single relationship? And at this moment, when this part of our body is hurting, how do we appropriately attend specifically to that hurting part of our body? I've got three things I want to challenge you with. As you think about that, first of all, back to the basics of the gospel. Because as you know, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the righteousness of God. And here's the gospel message. It's an invitation and it's a challenge. The invitation is this. Will you stop looking to yourself? Will you stop looking at the world? 
And will you start looking to God to heal the brokenness in your life? Would you do that even today? It's simple. It's simple to do, but it's weighty. It puts a demand on the rest of your life. And here's what you do. You say, God, I acknowledge the sin I see out there. It's not just out there. But sin is in here as well, because I'm broken, and I've broken things with my life, and I confess that I'm broken. And upon confessing, we then turn to God and say, God, not because I've earned it, not because I deserve it, but because you say you will give it to me, we say, God, will you forgive me of my sin in brokenness? And God has promised that every single time he will forgive it. But the challenge is this. The way we receive that free gift is by starting a lifelong journey of getting comfortable with confession. Confession is very unpopular in our world. We like to explain things away. We like to spin things in the news. We like to massage the truth. But confession is a raw and bare and vulnerable moment where we say, no, 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 no. I recognize that I am broken Not just that the world's broken, not just that it's out there, not just that they did something, but I actually am part of the problem as well. If we're going to be the righteousness of God, we have to get comfortable with confession. Second, if we're going to practice righteousness, we need to continue to dig into, to, to lean into God's teaching on how we relate to one another. All of God's word, all of the teaching of Jesus centers on one new commandment that Jesus gave towards the end of his ministry. He said, as I have loved you, Jesus said, as I, Jesus, have loved you, so you must love one another. And we actually spent a while, uh, a few months ago, looking at a number of these one another passages And there's one of the one another's that's been on my heart for quite a while now. If we're going to have godly relationships, if we're going to reconcile with one another, one of the things we must do is bear one another's burdens. And when part of our body is hurt because of the heavy burden and the heavy weight we're carrying, we need to bear that burden. Let me draw a picture for you. Um, I've got chickens. I know that's what you thought I was about to say as I was talking about this heavy topic. I've got chickens, and this is the bucket I use to feed my chickens. Now, my youngest, Asa, he's 19 months old, he loves the chickens. He loves them, and he loves to help me feed the chickens. Now, when I'm going to feed the chickens, I get my chicken bucket, and I get my chicken feed, And I put the chicken feed into the chicken bucket. Now, when the chicken bucket's full, it's heavy. And I pick it up. And Asa, without fail, comes and grabs the handle. And he wants to walk with me to the chicken food. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Asa bearing this burden with me? I mean, okay, he's cute. You know, it's really sweet. I'm emotionally pleased to have him with me. But if I'm really honest, no. He's not bearing the burden. You know what he's doing? A, he's pulling sideways, not up. 
And B, if I let him do it on his own, you know what he does? He dumps it over every single time and he makes a mess and it kills the grass and it's a big problem. And do you know why he does that? Because he's a baby. He can't lift a five-gallon bucket full of chicken food. You know how you bear a burden? If you're going to bear a burden, you have to get under it. And you know you're bearing the weight when you actually feel the weight on your shoulders. If somebody in the body of Christ, let's actually make it bigger than that. If somebody who was created by a good God, who was stamped with the image of God with invaluable worth, if a human being is suffering under a burden, under a weight, and they're hurting. And if you want to be the body of Christ, you got to get up underneath that burden so that you feel its weight. We can't just be a bunch of babies pulling on the side and going, look at me, I'm doing this. Nope. We've got to feel the weight of the burdens of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, and in the body of all of humanity. Last, I'm just going to summarize by saying, in all of this, Set your hearts and minds on Christ. Study God's word. Go to God in prayer. Get your heart attuned with the heart of God. The things that break God's heart, let them break your heart as well. So that in all of your life, with every word, with every deed, you might be an ambassador of Christ, carrying out the ministry of reconciliation. And so in your life, you might practice righteousness every moment of every day you live. Because when we practice righteousness, we are indeed being the body. Would you pray with me? God, in our world, too often the word righteousness is negative. People are self righteous in ways that are stuck up and self-centered and destructive. Give us this vision from your word. Put it deep in our hearts. Give us a passion not to be righteous, but to live your righteousness. That wherever we see brokenness in this world, call us, send us, strengthen us to accomplish with you your work of reconciliation. We pray all these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.